Good morning. It's nice to be here and to see uh, Jeremy, that's me, but to see Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy up there and um, glad to have Jennifer here with us. Um, I too loved Lake Louise when I was um, helping out there. It's beautiful. If you ever get a chance to serve, I would just encourage you to do that. It's just amazing. For us today, our gospel reading is from um, Luke. It's one of those stories that we've heard so many times, and we cherish it. And I, um, I just uh, thought I would begin reading it. Luke at chapter 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, What was going on? He replied, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then the elder son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. 
But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Here ends the reading for today. Will you pray with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Christ, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I wanted to just give you um, a heads up. The, my sermon is basically based on Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater, Spirituality and the Twelve Steps. Um, if you know the Twelve Steps, the Eighth Step is all about forgiveness, to make amends. And also based on Sorry for Your Troubles, poetry by Padraig Otuma. And um, if you didn't get those, you can ask me and I'll give you the information later. But I, when um, Reverend Jeremy told me that it's on forgiveness, um, that prodigal son for me is the epitome of two amazing pictures. One person that asks for forgiveness and one person that is unable to forgive. And so it sort of captured, the, for me, the whole um, thing of what we are reading in the Lord's Prayer, that is, to forgive our trespasses um, as we forgive others. We assume God will forgive us um, because we have had that drummed into us. And I think of this cute little story of a nun who... Um, I've done this with my confirmands, that you have these long talks, you know, about sin and prayer and forgiveness, and you feel like, oh, I gave my best lesson today, and I know they're going to do well. And, and then she, when she's finished, she asks her pupils, she's like, okay, so what do we have to do before we ask the Lord for forgiveness? And one of her pupils raises her hand confidently and says, sin. It's not not wrong. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that when you're teaching. You're like, oh, they were listening. But um, so my my sermon um, talks a little bit about this idea about how do we forgive. Um, In Ireland, between 1969 and 2001, almost 4,000 people lost their lives in what was known to be the Troubles. This language of bereavement and loss in Irish um, is referred to as teobloid, 
which is anglicized as troubled, to be troubled by grief, and therefore the word, the troubles. So after the Good Friday Agreement of Peace was reached, the challenge was how do you bring these families, neighbors, and friends who were on opposite sides of the battlefield to bring them together? Um, And as Christians, we know the basis of any healthy relationship, as Jesus taught us, is takes its root in the work of forgiveness. Jesus' life and ministry exemplified forgiveness. If you remember on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So his whole life from beginning to end stressed this need of this important theological work. Um, and But the question is, how exactly do we do this work of forgiving? Both the person who asks for forgiveness and the person who grants the forgiveness have incredibly hard jobs. Padraig Otuma, this poet, um, he also worked as a conflict mediator in Northern Ireland. And this book of poetry is based in his time at Corimila, um, a community that did a lot of peace work. Um, and this book, Sorry for Your Troubles, he writes, In the Irish, the word for forgiveness is matiunis. It comes from the word might, meaning good. The word is the same or similar in Gaelic and other languages spoken across Britain and the other islands. To forgive someone is to good them. To forgive someone is to treat them with goodness with which they did not treat you. In fact, the way the sentence is arranged is where the power is with the person that you're asking for forgiveness. Um, The power is in the possession of the one that is troubled. It is they who can good you. And if the one whose hands cost the trouble asks for forgiveness, they say, mate dom, good me. And forgiveness to Pedrick Otuma is not a person, place, or thing. If it is anything, it's a verb. And he writes, but it's not the only way to pack up your troubles. Forgiveness can be a burdening thing too. And there are many ways to honor loss. For some, in order to forgive and not forget, they pour their energy into justice-finding, story-finding, body-finding, and survival. Instead of burying the hatchet, they use the hatchet to clear a path out of old pain, build a house to house all peoples, and to create something new out of the old. This work of poetry, as I said, was done when he was at Corimila Community. It's an open village, a place of safety where people of diverse identities, politics, religions, viewpoints, 
could gather for learning, community, and faith. He writes, the folks of Corimila have long believed that human encounters between people who believe and think different things can be transformative. And I feel like now, at any t- if at any other time in our history um, of the United Methodists, where we are so tense, tension-filled with issues that we don't agree with, we have to glory in that we are together, even though we don't believe, because encountering the other, the person that doesn't believe what you believe, can be transformative and can be healing. Transformative, they believe, because when you have an ethic that challenges scapegoating, you may be able to be open to a new way of reflecting on your own shortcomings. Transformative because they believed in the power, as we do, in the shared table, the poured cups of tea. And um, Renee was telling me how wonderful you have a fellowship hour that you continue to do with packed things because I think that you carry that fellowship with you of this ministry that this church exemplifies. The crux of Jesus' ministry, in addition to forgiveness, was the shared table. In fact, a lot of times some raise the cup and say the cup of forgiveness poured out for you. It was bringing people together of differing backgrounds to work together for the liberation of all. And Jesus said when he first started his ministry that he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, um, and to set the oppressed free. That work isn't limited to Jesus. If you remember, Peter asked him, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother who sinned against me? And Jesus said, 70 times 7, which is just a symbol to say an infinite number of times, which is to say your work is never done. Because forgiveness is a process. It's a verb. And the Hebrew Bible has so many stories that are filled with these examples of forgiveness. One of my favorites is um, the Jacob and Esau story. And um, there's also Joseph and his brothers. I encourage you to look those up because they're just so moving how forgiveness works in there. And today's story of the prodigal son, which I told you has two different actors, and the story that Jesus, another parable that Jesus uh, tells us of, again, the landowner that forgives the debt that his steward has, but the steward who does not forgive the debt that his servant has. Um, Father Richard Rohr's book, Breathing Underwater, this book, Um, spirituality and and the 12 steps, he describes this understanding of this eight step in Christian terms. But his basic thesis is this, what you're learning in the Lord's Prayer is, that unless we practice our faith, move it from the theoretical to the enfleshed, like Jesus came in the incarnation, 
unless and until our relationship with Jesus actually touches us and heals us at the unconscious level where all of the real motivations, hurts, unforgiveness, anger, wounds, and illusions are stored and working. We are not living, really living, transformed lives as Christians. This understanding, similar to our founder John Wesley when he talks about going on to perfection, um, the sanctification process of daily living our lives as though we are made new in Christ. Father Aurora writes that we must challenge ourselves to get to the real issues of ego, control, power, money, pleasures, and temptations in order to experience the power of the liberation that Jesus Christ offers us, the power that we need to engage in the tasks of healing, reconciling, forgiving, and peacemaking. We know God forgives us. We can count on that. However, the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our negative sins, our mistakes, that we need to repair. And I think that's where AA gets that right. Because, yes, God forgives us, but the consequences of our actions are still out there. And we need to actively work at making those amends. We need to work in repairing the bonds that we have broken. We need to include ourselves in that healing work. Father Rohr writes, Amazing grace is not a way to avoid honest human relationships, but to do them again for the liberation of both sides. I grew up as a Baptist, and I remember that one thing that we talked about, when would you be born again and you're set free from sin? But we never, ever thought, talked about this piece, what your sin did to others, and what were you going to do about that? Um, and hopefully, as we reflect on that, ability that we have that God gives us to make amends as well as to ask for forgiveness. Now, I know recognizing our sin is a painful and difficult process. Facing ourselves, I mean really facing ourselves, without the masks of denial and deception is difficult and I'm understating it. We absolutely cannot do this without God's help. And that healing work, believe me, is just as important as facing others who we have harmed. Um, the example that I gave you about Jacob, right before he was going to meet his brother Esau, whom if you read the story, you'll find out he cheated his father and he cheated his older brother to get his birthright, his inheritance. 
And he was about to confront him or to meet with him after years of being away from him. And that night, he had this dream where he wrestled with God. And that, it is a metaphor, how we wrestle with ourselves when we face our own complicit sin. And how he struggled. And eventually he did overcome. And it was good that he did meet his brother Esau who forgave him and embraced him. It is one of those stories that is so powerful and joyful. And in the same way, the prodigal son who, who, who comes to realization how much he's hurt his father and how deeply he's caused harm. And he wants to be forgiven and make amends. And at the same time, we see the story of the older brother who is not able to do the exact same thing, who wants to hold on to that pain and that resentment and that anger that he probably feels is righteous. And somebody said this to me once a long, long time ago that... um, you know, holding on to resentment and grudge is like, you know, you taking rat poison and hoping the other person will die. They don't know or care. Um, So that doesn't help us to hold on to those things. And I think at the end of that prodigal son story, I don't know about you, but I always left feeling a little unsettled. Like that wasn't a happy ending wait that why didn't Jesus end it at the party Um, because Jesus wants to shake us out of our narcissistic um, focus that's not helping anybody that focus on ourselves on our ego Um, anyway so this the amazing thing is the part that If we do work on our wounds, if we do choose to work on healing, if we do face the past of our smallness and immaturity and selfishness, our false victimhood, and our cruel victimization of others, what happens is that that wound, those wounds that we have, they become a healing salve for others who are wounded. Henry Nouwen called it being a wounded healer, which again is something that is the foundation of AA. Those who are in recovery get to mentor another that is just beginning. Imagine if after confronting and healing our own false idols, we use that strength and that hurt and that pain to help another who's just beginning that journey, that frightening and scary journey to confront their own painful memories. We receive the grace from God that leads to transformation. As we lament and grieve our painful memories, we receive the grace from God that leads to our transformation. Our consciousness changes little by little as we abstain from the mistakes of the past and abstain from the cruelties of our former self. 
Little by little, we are transformed and made new in Christ. This takes practice. That's why we gather here every Sunday to encourage each other in this practice of humility, in this practice of a willingness to fail, to be rejected when we ask for forgiveness, and hopefully to continue to go on to healing. When we are able to offer an apology in a way that can actually heal the other, then we are moving forward in the work of sanctification. Um, one story that I will close with uh, is in, when I moved to uh, Cambridge to do my seminary work, um, I was attending Episcopal Divinity School, which is now not there anymore. It's merged with Union in New York. But at that time, we had these really old dorms that were beautiful. There was all wood. There's a fireplace. And I just loved it. And it was so, I was so excited, first of all, to be in Cambridge and Boston and to be starting seminary, a dream I had. And um, it was coming true thanks to Fannie Mae and <laughs> Sally Mae and so forth. But I was just thrilled. Imagine me when I came out of my room to, like, get some stuff from the kitchen, um, which was common. I saw this little note stuck to my door, and the note said, can you just keep it down up there? I was like, keep it down? I wasn't doing anything. I was just, you know, moving my stuff. And then, again, it was like, would you mind? I got another little post-it note that I'm laughing now, but that wasn't, I did not laugh then. It said, can you not walk around like an elephant? I was like, what the heck? And, of course, I knew it was the person below me, and I was so upset because I thought, we're in seminary. Shouldn't you come and talk to me? I mean, is, don't you all read Matthew 18? Like, hello? And I was so angry. I wanted to write a pithy reply. And I wanted to, like, you know, just go and confront her. But for some reason, I didn't. I don't know. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was I, I don't know what. But it was, we, at our seminary, we had morning prayer every day. And, but on Thursdays, we had Eucharist. And if you remember Paul and our liturgy in the Methodist hymnal, we confess our sins before we take communion. And as a Baptist, that was something my mother drummed into me. Do not take communion unless you've, you know, made peace with your brother or sister. Don't go. Anyway, um, as we were singing the hymn before communion was to begin, um, it, I can't tell you what the hymn was. I, I don't remember it. But I was in tears. And I thought, you know, this woman, I don't know what's going on with her. Clearly something is wrong in her life if this is what she needs to focus on. So I went up to her and I said, I'm so sorry that you have had a hard time doing what you need to do to get ready for the start of school. Um, I hope I will try to keep it down so you can concentrate. And... Um, I don't know how I did that even now. So I was still not ready. I was still pretty angry. 
Um, so I did that, took communion, sort of clear thing, you know, kind of. And I went back to my room, and I had, you know, just sat down to watch some TV, and um, I, there was a knock at my door, and it was this woman from downstairs, and she was crying. And she said, you know, I've had a horrible, horrible month. I've lost my job that was supposed to support me going to some, the seminary. I don't have grants to sign up for my classes. And my cat is really ill and is um, about to die. And so, you know, we, we hugged each other and we um, made peace. I think that was a deeper peace. But I, I want to tell you, I have more stories that aren't happy endings. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell them like, Jesus, I'll leave with a happy ending. <laughs> but it, it, that was not easy. I have had stories where people were like, you know, F you. And I've had to go away and just have, pray to God. But I've had been able to let it go. So forgiveness is something that we work at. It's not easy. It's not always simple. And there isn't always a happy ending. But I encourage you for the work of healing, for the work of being transformed, that we count on, that Wesley promises us being made new every day, to give it a try. Let us pray. God, I know that we have many, many, many things to be grateful for. And the least of them is the practice that we get each day to be made new in you. We are so grateful for your amazing grace that falls on us all. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Falls on us all and gives us the beauty and the wonder and the hope that we can be healed of our wounds. That we can see to a newer, brighter hope. Help us all as we try each day to become these wounded healers and help us to depend on you, God, each and every day. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.